Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today. Um, as usual, we got some interesting information to talk about. We have the 10 steps to a great retirement. There's only 10. There's only 10, you know. I mean, That's yeah, it. probably if you do five of these, John, <laughs> you'll be, be in awesome shape. I mean, but the truth is, there's like half of America that saved absolutely zero for retirement. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about that. And uh, so these are really, really important. People need to get serious about retirement. Yeah, and then we're going to go into um, uh, a topic. It's, this is really cool. Um, it's from uh, Morningstar. It's about Social Security and why doesn't it invest in the stock market? Now, this is not individual personal accounts, but actually taking a piece of the um, the money that's set, it as, set aside and actually put it in the stock market. So we're going to debate that a little bit and um, kind of talk about the pros and the cons. Yeah, that's been a long, long-standing topic, mm-hmm. and it's interesting, you know. Um, I mean, I wish they would do that. I but, do, too, uh, a portion of it. I mean, you But could, it's you a significant could. issue. There's some significant yeah, hurdles they, to that. So we'll get into that. Yeah. That's a great, great topic. Yeah, and, um, you know, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, and I've been helping corporations and individuals for over 25 years with planning and investing. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Um, our podcasts are up every week on Friday afternoons, so you can... Pick those up off the website, That's right? right. You can also go to the website, moneymd.net. We have the podcast on the right-hand side. We also have a Facebook page um, you can go check out. Uh, we put uh, we post uh, videos of the uh, prescription of the week on there as well. So we try to communicate in a lot of different ways to our clients and folks out in the community. Exactly. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, um, we're going to start off here with the prescription, well, excuse me, the fact of the week. Yeah, this was interesting. There was an announcement um, a couple of weeks ago from Amazon. So this is why we we talk about not investing in one individual stock. So Amazon came out and they said they were purchasing Whole Foods and the grocery industry just plummeted. They actually wiped off $29 billion in market cap from, um, you know, Kroger, the entire grocery sector, they, they got, they got slammed. Walmart was impacted. Target was impacted. Kroger, um, you know, super value. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I know Kroger, I was kind of watching them to see how they reacted. And in two days they were down 25%. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it just shows you the power. I mean, what, what can happen to one entire sector, let alone one company. And no one can predict that. I mean, there's no no one sitting there saying Amazon's going to go and, you know, people are saying Amazon's, you know, widespread and so forth, but man, I guarantee you there are a lot of people in Kroger that were significantly impacted 25% in, in two days. Yeah, and I mean, if if you know Amazon really did take a significant chunk of market share, everybody's you know all the retailers are scared of them because they're such a mm-hmm. big innovative retailer in the online space. Um, gee, I mean that could make a huge impact yeah. for grocery chains. So be diversified. Don't invest in one stock or even one sector because it can change in the matter of uh, an announcement. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, diversification is the key. So that's a great fact of the week. All right, and that leads up to our first topic here, and that is the 10 Steps to a Great Retirement. Um, this is based on a, an article out of the street.com very recently. And, and, John, you know, I mean, with 
so many Americans that are behind on savings, it, it is high time people got serious about creating a blueprint that if followed would lead to, you know, really a golden time in the golden years. And so the, the Financial Times recently reported that the U.S. is, um, you know, building toward a pension crisis, noting mm-hmm. that only about half, 45% of working age households have no retirement savings whatsoever. So mm-hmm. almost half have zero. And, um, you know, if you consider that Social Security only makes up about a third of the average retiree's income and pensions are becoming extinct, I mean, the question is, where's the rest of the income going to come from for that half of Americans that have saved nothing for retirement? Taxes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's you know, they're going to increase taxes. And even for the ones that have saved, I mean, the majority are woefully unprepared for mm-hmm. retirement. So, you know, there's a good reason why, according to a recent study by the Employee Benefit Research Institute, only 18% of Americans are very confident that they'll have the income they need for a comfortable retirement. So we're going to look at 10 steps here that if you follow those, it would lead to the kind of retirement that you probably dreamed of. Um, these are really important steps, and and uh, it really is the recipe for a great retirement. Uh, so step number one here is to know how much you're going to need for retirement. Sounds simple. Yeah. I mean, it But is, not many people know that. No, they don't. I mean, they don't really know their number, you know, how much they need to save, how much they need to get to. Um, so it's kind of a, a, you know, having some kind of simple financial plan really is what it takes here, retirement plan. So for starters, though, having a financial goal in mind is a great place for retirement savers to start. While every, you know, savers situation, everybody's different. Um, their recent study in 19, uh, 2014 by the Bureau of Labor Statistics found that the average household held 64 to 74, they're going to need about $45,000 to live off of annually. So that's average. So rule of thumb, you know, can be based on requiring, say, 80 to 100% of your final work year salary uh, to get there. Social Security only makes up like 20 to 30% of that of retirement funding on average. So let's say maybe a third. So that means the shortfall need to be made up for other funding, you know, mm-hmm. for your, from yourself, like your 401k or your Roth IRA. So if you're like the average retiree with no pension um, and you need about $45,000 to live off of in retirement, then, and if a third of that's covered by social security, I mean, you need to make up maybe, maybe 30,000 then that means you probably need maybe 600000 saved by the time you retire, just yeah. as an example. That's right. So that's how you get to that number. Yeah, and we have so many people walking in here weekly now that are retiring that ask that question, how much do I need? And, and we can go through the planning piece of it, but then you also have to do a budget to make sure that number fits exactly as well. So that's a great, um, great one to start out of the gate here. The second one here is... You know, if you're young or maybe you have kids or grandkids, um, teach them to start saving early. I mean, the earlier you start, um, the, the more time your money has to grow. Yet, according to a, a survey by American Funds, uh, nearly two-thirds of Gen Xers are kept up night at night thinking about, you know, fin- financing their retirement when really the answer is right in front of them. The best way to avoid the fear of retirement is to really plan ahead, start saving early. I mean, deposit as much as you can into some tax advantage retirement accounts like 401ks. A lot of times you'll get a match with that. 
Uh, also Roth IRAs, um, you know, so there's a lot of different options out there, but you got to start, you can start small 1%, 2% and then increase at a percent every year, but you got to start early. That's the key. You want time to be on your side. So that's a, that's a good one. Um, next one here is to maximize your 401k contributions. I mean, we certainly advise to take full advantage of your comp company sponsored 401k plan and other retirement vehicles, but at least up to the company match, you have to get that match. That is free money. And, you know, I sat down with somebody just the other week that was, you know, focused on their debt and they stopped putting anything in their 401k. And that was great. They were focused on their debt. But, you know, I disagree with the idea of foregoing your match in mm-hmm. your 401k. I mean, you got to get that. That's just free money. It's part of your salary. So, so you got to get that. But, I mean, we recommend <clears throat> that you save 15% of your income toward retirement um you can include the match but i've never met anybody that was saving 15 percent for like the last 10 years that was in bad shape for retirement yeah no i agree i mean that really puts you on schedule so um you want to do that you know schedule a meeting maybe with your financial advisor or your retirement plan representative discuss your plan contributions um you know talk to them about what you need to get the most out of your retirement and make sure you're on track but you want to get that up and maximize it out eventually. I mean, the people that I see that really are killing it toward retirement, they're putting the max in. They're putting like twenty, you know, eighteen thousand dollars a year in their four hundred one k, which is the max if you're below fifty or twenty four mm-hmm. if you're over fifty. That's where you're really, really getting ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then um, the next one here though is to rebalance annually. Um, that's really important because if you rebalance your account at least annually, then you're going to keep it from straying too far off of its targets. Um, Because portfolios, they don't need to be traded frequently, but, you know, over the course of of a year, if stocks go up or down significantly, that creates additional opportunities. So you can sell a little bit of what's high and you can buy a little bit of what's low inside the portfolio. That's what rebalancing does. So it forces you to to sell a little bit high, buy a little bit low, and also keep your portfolio in the right allocation so you don't get off track in terms of risk. You keep your risk at the right balance. Um, that pro- process actually helps your return and lowers your risk over time. So that's really important. So do rebalance yeah. your account annually. Yeah, not many people do that. Um, you know, there's some 401ks that do that, but that's important. Um, the next one here on the list is just equally as important we talk about this frequently is, is have an emergency fund. I mean, when you, with marriages and jobs and businesses, a lot of times it's unexpected turns. Um, you know, be sure to have your portion of your savings in a rainy day fund, something very conservative. Um, many individuals fall victim to these unforeseen events, but it's always nice to have financial security when you need it most. So we recommend three to six months of expenses set aside in an emergency fund. And after all, in reality, when you look at it, these these expenses really aren't unexpected. Um, they're simply non-routine, but you can expect about 10% of your budget to be in these non-routine expenses. It's difficult to predict when, this gonna, when they're going to happen, but they will happen. So cars breaking, you know, houses having issues, losing jobs, health issues, it's going to happen in some form. So make sure you have an emergency fund. Yeah, absolutely. That's <clears throat> that's like step one for mm-hmm. anybody yeah, when you're planning the for basics. planning for retirement or, or any long term goal. You got it. That's finance one hundred and one. First step: have an emergency fund. So that's great. Next one here on the list is plan like you're going for early retirement. Hmm. Um, that's good. Yeah, I mean it is a good one because if you shoot for an early retirement, 
even if you don't wind up leaving early, you know, from your job, uh, that means you'll be prepared and you won't be disappointed. So, you know, cut 10 years perhaps off your, off your real retirement day. If you think you're going to retire at 65, then, then, then plan on 55 maybe and save as much as possible toward that goal. The idea is this, instead of thinking that you have 20 plus years to save, you know, start saving as if you only had 10 years, you know, watch the money pile up, whether you choose to retire early or not, or plan to work, work long into retirement, you know, into your retirement years, having the option available really is priceless. You know, that's especially so in the event that, you know, if you're forced to leave for unforeseen circumstances, like a health issue or an economic downturn or the company downsizing, you know, you already have the money there and you'll be, you'll be in decent shape to do that. So you never know whether you're going to be forced to retire early. So plan on an early retirement. That was a great one. All right. The next one here on the list, number seven is consider your true risk tolerance. Um, what they say is that um, whether you're a smart millennial who's getting a jump start on retirement or a retiree seeking to offset inflation or somewhere in between, it's always important to consider your own personal true risk tolerance and circumstances because everybody's different. So you really have to kind of look inside and say, you know, what is your comfort level? Um, that includes how much risk you can afford to take both financially and emotionally prior to making your investment decisions. You know, there's a fine line between taking on too much or too little risk with your retirement assets. Investors who are trying to make up for lost time are often, um, you know, they'll lose money by taking on too much risk and then they'll get scared out and sell low mm -hmm. or sell in a down market, you know, and that's the worst possible thing you could do. So what you have to do is you have to plan on the appropriate risk level. Be honest with yourself, you know, consider how much, you know, at a gut level, how much risk you really can tolerate, <clears throat> how much return you really do need, and then invest at that level. Don't take on too much risk. Otherwise, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to you're going to see yourself in a bad situation in the next downturn. Yeah. So be careful to take on the appropriate risk level. Yeah, that's right. And another one here on the list, Steve, is is planning ahead for Social Security. I mean, don't wait until the last minute to start planning. I mean, you know, we see that sometimes people are, are forced to, to draw early from Social Security, whereas if you had planned on, you know, 10 years earlier and saved the money up, you could have devised a plan that actually allowed you to draw Social Security later, and it grows about 8% per year after the age of 62. So if you can push that off, um, you know, it's going to give you, um, you know, a significant boost in retirement. Uh, if you have a spouse, there's some, some social security, you know, strategies that you can implement as well. So, you know, if you can do defer social security for a number of years, it's going to be significantly in increased and that'll give you some longevity, um, risk as well. It'll help that out. Yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat> okay. Next one here on the list is the plan for, a significant amount of inflation. A lot of people totally forget about inflation when mm -hmm. they're planning for retirement. If they're doing the back of the envelope thing, they'll neglect inflation almost every time. Um, and many people view retirement as a time to become very conservative with their savings and investments. And while that might be the appropriate decision for some people, you can't forget about the effect of inflation on your nest egg over time. It's a huge factor. We see that when we run retirement numbers for folks. Just bumping inflation up by a half percent per year makes a huge difference in the plan. Right. You know, 20, 30 years down the road. So you have to make sure you're planning for a significant amount of 
inflation, we'd recommend, you know, three, three and a half percent inflation factored in your plan, maybe even four. Um, you never know what inflation is going to be, but it's significant and it has a significant effect on your on your nest egg. Um, retirees are living longer, um, so it makes sense to dedicate a portion of retirement to to stocks so that it keeps up with inflation. That's really the vehicle. Equities are the, the portion of your portfolio that's going to keep up with and beat inflation. So, And the last one here on the list is don't forget about health care expenses. Health care is a topic of our times. You know, it's a very hot topic, has been for a long time. It's an important consideration in retirement, too. Um, you should be aware of issues that can arise um, and, and plan for how you want to address those. You know, long-term care is certainly one of those. I mean, one topic is Medicare. Um, you know, it's not available till 65. So if you plan to retire early, then you're going to have to have to plan on how to pay for health care. If your you know, company doesn't offer some kind of plan or if your spouse is younger, then you have to plan for your spouse with health care. But uh, have a medical expense plan built into your retirement budget because that's a very important piece of retirement. I tell you, John, I mean, over the years, we, we run into people that are all different spectrums of retirement preparation. Sat down with somebody this week that I thought was in great shape, you know, for retirement. Um, that was just, you know, a terrific path, you know, saving, you know, the max in their retirement plans. And, and then I sat down with somebody else this week that was in horrible shape mm-hmm, for retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, a half million dollars in debt and, and a lot of that's consumer debt and student loans and things. So we see the whole spectrum. You got to make sure that you plan for retirement and you do it right. And these are 10 really important steps to make sure you're on that track. Yeah. I think a lot of people need to work with a financial advisor. Obviously we're impartial to that, but I mean, I don't personally work on my own car. Exactly. I don't do my own health care. I mean, so there are professionals out there. I know some people can't do financial planning, but there's a lot of people that can. <laughs> it's more complicated than I think it sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to think before I got in this business, you know, you just run numbers on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, it's going to, you know, that, that pretty well shows it. You know, that's the income I need. But, you know, that's day one of retirement. Yeah, you might be able to nail day one of retirement. But now in, you know, year 20 in retirement and what that's going to look like with inflation and different rates of return and, you know, different, you know, scenarios in the stock market, that's really hard. It's complicated. It's, it's complicated. So uh, and then how Social Security and all those decisions factor in. So, yeah, you really do need to get some help when it comes to planning for retirement. That's serious business. Yeah. yeah so um, want to do the question of the week? Yeah, let's do that. Go ahead. Well, and this has to do with retirement, believe it or not. So um, this question has happened. It's it's interesting. I know you, it sounds like you've had some some meetings talking about retirement, but you've got a lot of people coming into our office saying, hey, how do I know when I can retire? Oh, yeah. We get that all the time, and, don't we? Yeah, and it's great because it's, you know, we can, it's like a puzzle. Every, everybody's situation is a little different, and you just put put together this picture. Sometimes it's a pretty picture. Sometimes there's some things that have to be done in order to make that picture whole. But it really boils down to doing a retirement plan so we can tell them with, with a pretty high confidence level the income that they can target at certain ages. But on the other side, they have to do the budget that matches that. Exactly. So once you get those two matched, you know, your income – you know, target matches your budget. It's a very easy decision and it really is a freeing decision. People can make that decision to walk away and feel confident that they're making the right decision. Yeah. A retirement plan really adds that comfort level and the confidence. Like you said, I mean, leading into retirement, you know, there's no do-overs for retirement for most people. 
you're leaving a job where you're at the top of your career and you know, you're at the top of your game, making the most money you've ever made and most vacation you've ever had. I mean, once you pull a trigger on that, there's usually no going back. Mm-hmm. So it's a really important decision. You want to make sure you get it right. You need to run a plan. That's really the only way to know for sure, you know, whether you have enough for retirement and you have enough, like I mentioned, you know, 20 years in, 10 years in, um, under different circumstances, you know, to cover long-term care and those kind of things. So, yeah, run a retirement uh, plan. That's that's a great question of the week. Yep. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here. Yeah, this comes from uh, Morningstar. It's uh, should Social Security invest in stocks and, you know, pension funds do it. They're invested in the stock market. Insurance companies certainly do it with annuities. Right. Uh, Canada does it, and so does Japan. So why doesn't our Social Security system invest in the stock market, and and should it? I mean, it's a great question. And it we're is. not we're not talking about, you know, the private individual IRA-style investment accounts that uh, former President George Bush, um, you know, had had talked about. The question here is where Social Security should invest a portion of its reserve funds in the stock market to help the uh, long-term solvency, right? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it goes, to me, it goes back to the original structure that was put in place, and it's a shame that wasn't part of the structure because it's so difficult to do it after the fact. That's right. It's law now, and, and the law says that Social Security must invest its reserve funds in safe, low-return treasury sec- securities. And, you know, there's been proposals to shift a portion of that into equities from time to time, but it's never it's never happened. It's never come to fruition. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah, there are advocates for the idea that, you know, higher returns are offered by stocks, you know, could be used to ease the burden on taxpayers to fund the program and even boost the benefits. But, you know, those arguments really only apply to Social Security's very long-range outlook. When you start looking at the short-term solution for solvency of the system, um, you know, investing in stocks really doesn't help that. I mean, it gets really expensive when you get in the weeds and really start looking at that. But, yes, Social Security faces an imbalance that would force sharp cuts around 2034 um, when it's projected that the, the trust fund's going to run out of money and start running deficits. And the problem stems from, you know, the labor force um, that's obviously falling, getting smaller as baby boomers are retiring, um, which is going to reduce the collections of the payroll taxes that fund the system, and also from increasing retiring baby boomers who are collecting more benefits. It's all the baby boomers' fault. Yeah, that's right. We'll kind of really blame it on them. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah, you've heard the numbers. I mean, there's only like two oh, and a half workers for every yeah. one person receiving benefits now. Um, well, and people are living longer, so it's putting strain on the system. And I mean, there's, exactly. there's a number of reasons. You know, absent reform, Social Security um, could continue to pay 75% of the promised benefits. But, um, you know, for a lot of people, that, that would be a huge, that would be a drastic Cut. cut. Um, be, that'd be painful. So the problem's going to must be solved through an injection of new revenue, which is taxes, um, benefit cuts, which no one's like likes, or or a combination of the two. Um, so when you look at the long term, I mean, adding some into equities. Now we're talking about one hundred percent here. We're talking about maybe twenty to forty percent. Probably would be a smart move. Yeah, it definitely would. Um, you know, long term. I mean, the debate isn't about investing some portion of Social Security assets outside of treasuries, um, that, that isn't new a debate. You know, I mean, they've considered that uh, debate for a long time. Even back when the system was created back in the 30s, you know, they considered an option 
uh, what was then was corporate bonds. But the problem is that the money has been spent. I mean, if you're looking at it today, the trust fund isn't really there. You know, it's invested in, you know, non-negotiable bonds or mm-hmm. government IOUs, as is better known, <laughs> um, where the money's been spent. So there is no surplus. So to invest anything in the stock market, you'd have to come up with real money, which would mean the deficit would go up. You know, that money wouldn't be available to pay benefits. It'd be actually collecting somewhere in the stock market. So government and real money, they don't go together. They don't go together. I mean, you know, that, that paper, that, that uh, money on the accounting system, the number would go up. The deficit would go up dramatically, yeah, right. I think, if we started doing that. Yeah, so, I mean, this is not a new concept. Back in the mid-1990s, President uh, Clinton uh, ask an advisory panel of ex- experts to make recommendations um, to look at the solvency. And that's one of the things they came up with is uh, looking at that. There was a gentleman named Altman and uh, another gentleman named Robert Ball, who um, also came co-authored a plan as well. And, um, you know, some of that included, you know, authorizing Social Security to invest into the stock market. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, they were talking about a broadly diversified set of index funds, Back then, in order to safeguard the government against interference in the markets, they would set up like a, a Federal Reserve Board type of, uh, of, of, you know, to kind of govern it. Mm-hmm. And they'd be appointed to select the funds and hire the managers in a competitive bidding process. Um, you know, that proposal uh, had the gradual investing in equities, like a 1% per year increase, you know, in 2006. And it was supposed to go up 1% a year till it got to like 20% of the assets. But obviously, it didn't fly. I mean, there's a lot of resistance to that. And, you know, I I would be shocked if we ever see a system that would invest in the stock market when it comes to Social Security. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the the politics around this is is just horrible. I mean, it basically blocks it. Plus, um, you know, also there was a study back in 2016 that only half of Americans are even in the stock market. So, you know, the stock market scares people. There's a lot of um, distractions. There's... You know, you go through the Great Recession back in in two thousand and eight, and when the markets were off fifty percent, I mean, there'd be a that'd be tough, I think, to communicate and manage appropriately to people. But it would. People have a lot of distrust in the stock market. You know, um, I think just sixteen percent of adults here in a study show that. Uh, they, they view the stock market as the best place to invest money they don't need for 10 years or more. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it just shows you that the vast majority of Americans, those same 50% that haven't invested yeah, they, anything for retirement, they also, they don't invest in the stock market. They don't understand it. They view it as scary. And then, of course, you know, the politics of it, I mean, the left really portrays that when it comes to touching the stock market. We heard that argument back in you mm-hmm. know, 2004 during the election yeah. process. Yep. It's a shame because I think it's a, actually a reasonable idea if you did a, a small portion of it and you gradually implemented it. I think the, the, the issue would be the communication and the managing of the expectations um, would be nearly impossible. So therefore, uh, probably not going to happen in our lifetimes. I don't think so. I mean, if they had originally put part of it in stock market, obviously that would have yeah. made a huge difference mm-hmm. to the viability of the system today. You know, if they could have gotten, a, you know, 10% return with, I don't know, even 25% of the money, sure. that would have made a huge difference. But to do that today, to go back and put part of the money in the stock market, I mean, politically, I just, in our system, I don't see that as as a anything that has a chance of, of ever being passed. So, uh you know, eventually, when the system does run out of money, the answer is pretty simple. They're going to raise taxes. Oh, yeah. 
They're going to, and means test it as well. Yeah, because there's just no, and they're going to do it for people that are in the high income levels because there's just no political will at all to cut benefits for the average worker. Yeah. um, Any significant level. Um, I doubt they would do a, a 1980s type benefit cut again. It seems to me that politically that's that's not going to float in today's world. Higher taxes. Higher taxes, what it boils down I think. To. I mean, that's what you kept hearing from, you know, the Democrats in the last election. And mm-hmm. so I think that's probably what we would be, yep, I we'd agree. be stuck to eventually to fix the system. So it won't go away. I mean, the benefits will be there, but— They'll be at a reduced level. Reduced level, and they'll be higher and they taxes. And can, they can also tweak the inflation calculation. And when you're talking about trillions of dollars, it True. makes a big difference. So. That part might be palatable because yeah. people don't really understand inflation. That's right. yeah. So they might sneak that one in somewhere. So, all right, good topic. And that leads up to our final topic, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, and um, disclaimer, we're not we're not tax experts, but we certainly deal a lot in the tax world. We, we help our clients make decisions, and we coordinate with CPAs locally as well. But um, this is pretty cool. If you're over 70 and a half and you have an IRA, you're required to take a required minimum distribution on an annual basis. It's starting out about 3.6% roughly of the balance at the previous end end of the year. Um, So there's a provision in the tax code now that will allow you to gift that RMD to a charity. And so you get the charitable contribution and you also don't have to pay taxes on it either. So there's there's some benefits. Yeah, I mean, it normally, you know, a contribution to charity is tax deductible anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so for a lot of people, it wouldn't be a, a benefit. But, um, but this vehicle called a qualified charitable distribution (QCD) when you're over seventy and a half uh, directly to a charity does have a lot of benefits for a lot of people because it avoids that distribution raising your adjusted gross income, and even though it might be deductible on the back end your adjusted gross income going up affects a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. So it affects your Social Security taxability. Um, it affects your Medicare Part B premium. So there's a lot of things that key off of your AGI. So this is a way to avoid that altogether and have it go directly to a charity tax-free. Um, it's a great move. So something you really ought to look into if you're over 70 and a half making those RMDs. So uh, great prescription of the week. All right, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard M. Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 